This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, Disney Original Movies on Disney Channel, and in the theaters themselves, we talk about all of these things here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you are about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find all the wonderful and exciting content I just mentioned, as well as show notes for this very show. You can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews and all kinds of reviews going all the way back to the 1920s, so make sure that you check out those reviews over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me as always, we have our fine film experts. Uh, first of all, there is the man who rides a bicycle uphill both ways in the snow to school, Mr. Todd Perlmutter. Yes, and backwards, you forgot. Yes, of course. In time, right? Yeah, one wheel backwards. Totally. Makes sense. From all sites on the interwebs and internets and all things uh, digital, we have the one and only Miss <laughs> Rachel Kolb. How are you, Rachel? Hello. I'm doing quite well. I'd actually like to give a quick shout-out to uh, some of my fellow writers over at Uproxx who did a lot of coverage for the end of Parks and Recreation. Um, if you ever watched that show, it actually just ended recently, and they did some excellent coverage on it, including a complete history of the show. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Awesome. Yeah, go and check that out. And, of course, our producer who makes things happen around here, who edits, who... Uh, keeps us on schedule, on task, all of the above, uh, is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter, at Cheryl P3. How are you, Cheryl? Good. I'd like to give a shout-out to Big Hero 6 for winning an Oscar. Yes, yes. man. Yay, Big Hero 6. And Feast. And Feast. Yeah. So, today, tonight, tomorrow, whenever you're listening out there in Radio Land, we are talking about the latest release from Walt Disney Studios, McFarland USA, starring Kevin Costner as uh, Jim White, the track coach for McFarland High School, and it's the story of him founding the cross-country program at McFarland High School in California uh, and leading them to uh, championships and glory and all those sorts of things. So um, if, you, if you haven't read the story of McFarland USA or McFarland California, the high school and those sorts of things, uh, we might spoil some things for you, but quite honestly, there's not a lot of stuff to spoil if you've seen any of the press that disney's put out i mean the the true it's a true story sports movie so you can probably guess what happens in the end the good guys win the bad guys lose they're not really bad guys though yeah that's true i mean yep the bad guys in, in this movie are not exactly the rival people 
Yeah, there's it's it's not like uh, some of the other sports films that we've we've talked about where there's like a definite enemy. The the enemy is generally uh, prejudice and and those sorts of things. It's I'd say it's probably much more like Remember the Titans in that way than than some of the other sports films. Uh, it's really overcoming their own obstacles instead of uh, external ones. Yeah, for Kevin Costner, it's a little bit of overcoming white privilege, which he actually said, like, actually mentioned his own privilege at one point, which kind of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, I would say me too, because I, in watching this, it was, um, it's not, some, that's not, you know, like white guilt and privilege and things like that are not something that's normally dealt with in a film like this. And I'm not going to say that they did, you know, the great deep examination of such a thing uh but it was interesting like you said to even bring it up and the fact that he uh the character recognized all that stuff um i think is what elevates this above your normal just feel-good sports movie absolutely and i think the actors that that play the uh the teammates are all really great yeah yeah i would agree they're also all like local well, some, some of them are local. About half the kids are local, and the other half were actors. So they said that when they got them together, the actors had to go to track camp, which actually all of them had to go to track, track camp. But the ones that were strictly like sports kids from McFarland actually had acting classes uh. during that time as well. And um, to, to talk about the kid actors, I have I we actually have a Star Wars slash Marvel connection because vincent martella played brandon in this movie and and vincent martella is the voice of phineas of phineas and ferb whoa whoa so and so they've both done phineas and ferb have done both a star wars episode and even a marvel episode so that's right (laughs) there we go (laughs) you got it no, this this movie opened uh, February twentieth. It did um, decent at the box office. I think this is one of those that you know Disney puts out these movies, these sports films from time to time. That you know, last year we talked about Million Dollar Arm. These are yep. you know they pick one person to be the sort of star. In this case, it's Kevin Costner, and then everybody else is like we said, you know, local actors or somebody like that. So I think the the budget for this movie was under twenty million dollars. Uh, it's already made over thirteen million at the box office at the time we record. So probably on its way to a a decent uh, profit for the for, for the company, uh, and I think well deserved. I mean, you know, we'll get into spoilers and going through the plot in a little while, but I mean, just in general, you know, without giving away you guys' ratings, I mean, po- all all around positive from what I I saw on Twitter and talking with you guys before we started the show, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little. I think it's a little long. Yeah. Um, yeah. For what it is, but it's. I mean, I think I think we end up paying with our discount because I actually managed to go and not buy my tickets early and got my discount. I think we end up paying about ten dollars for our ticket, and that's why I say I would would have paid for this movie. I wouldn't have paid like the the like thirteen. I I think it's the ten dollars is the right cost. Like if it had been thirteen, that's a little bit much, but you know, by it depends again, of course, where you live, you know, right. Yeah, I went. I went and saw a matinee of this, so I paid about nine dollars and change, um, and I think that that's entirely fair. Yeah, I, I I think it's the one thing I will say is uh, I took both my kids with me 
to see the movie, uh, which sometimes doesn't work out when we go to see some of these uh, films together. But uh, this was perfect. They they both really, really loved it, uh, really enjoyed it. And they got it, too, which was the thing I was worried about coming out of the movie, because there's some there's some heavy themes in here. And there's some things that especially for two suburban kids, it's going to be hard for them to understand. And I think that's intentional. Uh, but they both, when coming out of the movie, were like impressed with how hard these kids work with, you know, wanted to know more about the school, wanted to know, you know, more about the situation that these kids are in of having to, you know, uh, to go work and then go to school and all that stuff. Uh, and I think they both really sort of took the, the message of the movie to heart, which with the eight year old and a 13 year old is pretty much impossible to happen. So I, I would say kudos to Disney. And if you guys are out there with your, uh, who have kids and we're wondering if this is a good one for them. Uh, I would, I would say definitely, I think they need to be at least that old though. I would say, uh, the eight year old, you know, we had to, we had a few conversations about, you know, what was going on in the movie and those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, she did get it. I don't know if anyone younger than that would really kind of pick up on some of this stuff. Hmm. Interesting. One of the things that I really liked about the movie was that the the seven actors that they did get were, you know, people to play the kids. Right. Um, I thought that the movie did a fantastic job just letting them be the kids they were playing. I don't really know another way to say that, but you know, like a yeah, lot of times, I know what you're saying. Kids get lost in the in the and I in the stereotypes and stuff like that of what their roles are supposed to be. And really, they just came off as fairly regular kids, despite everything yeah. else that they were living yep. in. You know, there was White was not there to do anything more than inspire hope in them. He was, despite that it's Kevin Costner and Kevin Costner's a big gun. I don't really feel that they were overshadowed by Kevin Costner at all. No, um, actually, quick note about the kid who plays Diaz. You know the scene where they're at the track meet and he goes over and grabs a cookie off the table. Apparently, that was just something that he did, and they thought that it was funny. Like, it wasn't something that was in the script at all. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably like the actor's food table and not an actual like, yeah. food table for, yeah. for them. Yep. Like, they're supposed to be in the shot. They just happen to catch it kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. One of the interesting things is when you start to, like, look at the history of some of the things, Danny Diaz in real life was not overweight. Right. At all. Yep. He was just the slowest runner, so they made the big guy who they picked as one of the actors be the be the slowest runner and then just played it up in the movie. But but, you know, what happens at the end really was real life, so Yeah, the fact that yeah. which we'll get to the, right, the that's stuff why that happened at the last what happened meet. at the end. See, that's, yeah. that's how I, I how I undershadowed that. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Though there are a lot of things that they changed historically. Yeah, they also um, particularly they, the timing, and they also changed some of the um, running courses as well. Quite a bit, actually, because yeah. that's one thing is that the very one of the very last meets is actually run at in the Hollywood Hills at Griffith Observatory. I I don't think that ever happened. I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that they did not have a cross country meet running through the Hollywood Hills, knowing the 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 expense of the houses up there and and the traffic and those sorts of things. I don't think that's going to happen. It was really cool to watch. It was it was awesome to watch in the movie. I agree. I just wanted to see the Rocketeer yeah. fly over. <laughs> yep. You want to talk about the history? Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about like yeah. where where this all comes from. It would be great. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let Rachel. She's the one started. 
Well, I, I was going to mention that one of the biggest changes uh, from real life to the film is that um, it wasn't the, the first year that he was there. Um, they did not go to state. It actually wasn't until the seventh year of the program um, because he started at the school in 1980. In 1987 is when they actually went to state and started their like. Actually, their that's winning not even true. Oh, by the way, um, okay. White uh, went right out of college and went to work in the McFarland School District, and he was working right. in the school district since 1964. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is he yeah. was he was a middle school teacher, yes. uh, and actually moved up to high school in in 1980. So Correct. yeah, he'd he'd been in the area for quite some time. And he basically never had anything to do with their football team. He just came in. He had to be the teacher because they needed a teacher that he was he was skilled in the area, and that was why they moved him up. And then he found out that they had had a cross country team that was actually literally shut, shuttered like a couple years before. And he restarted it. So he didn't start a fresh pro- program. He just restarted an old program. The other thing um, is that they said that um, there were more than seven kids on the team. Um, initially, no. The, that year, that 1980 year, no. It was just the seven kids. But after that, well, it was but, very but, popular. Todd, according to the interview I'm reading on Runner's World with Mr. White, he says that. Oh, okay. Well, because <laughs> they have the real picture and everything like that. And it's just the seven kids. He says there were more than seven kids. Okay. I can believe yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, Jim White has been very open about it. He said, look, the movie isn't entirely accurate to history, but that's okay. And he actually said that the four times that he's seen the movie now, he's seen it four times. Um, he says every single time he has cried watching it. Yeah. So he's clearly happy with it. Yeah. And how and he had been shopping it for a while before Disney did it. It went through four studios before they took it on. Right. I think basically, like, I've read a few interviews with him, um, the one that you were just talking about that's in Runner's World, Cheryl, and, and a few others. I think his basic take on it is that, you know, the movie does get across the spirit of what, what they went through, but it's not, it wasn't quite as overwhelming a task for him as it was for the kids. I think, I think that's what, you, you know, that's what he's focused on, at least in, in the interviews I've read, is that, you know, his struggle wasn't nearly as much as these kids who had to get up, go pick in the fields, come, come to school, uh, come back to pick again, and then practice. He's like, you know, that, actually was much more of a struggle than him moving kid moving around or any of those things that he didn't actually have to do. Yeah. Well, that's, that's another thing too, right? That whole uh, initial scene in Boise, Idaho is never happened. Right. That's, that's a key thing. And it's funny. It doesn't really change the motivation of the movie. It's just weird. One thing I liked about Kevin Costner in this movie is he never raises his voice the entire movie. Yeah. Even when he's mad, he never raises his voice. It's crazy. Yeah, he's very I, – I, th- I don't particularly care for Kevin Costner with the exception of his baseball films, <laughs> quite honestly. <laughs> and and I, this was probably the best that I have seen him in years. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he, he definitely – 
underplays it. Um, I think we talked about this on the show before. Like, I was a little concerned in watching the trailer because he's using this gravelly voice, um, which I guess could be his real voice, but it seems, you know, like a little affected. And I was concerned that he was going to kind of overplay this. And he actually did quite the opposite. He he was very subtle. Um, he played it. He played a very world weary character, but still tried to, you know, get across some of that inspirational message without. I, I, like Jim White in the movie is not to me like one of the best inspiring coaches I've ever seen in a, in a sports film. Like he's just a guy who's trying to find something that motivates him as well as some of these kids. It's not like he's trying to change their lives or anything like he does. And that's sort of a, an end result, but he's really just sort of trying to find his way and find the way for his family and everybody else. It's not, it's not like uh, Denzel Washington and Remember the Titans. It's almost the exact opposite of that performance. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Well, there's a lot more yelling by Denzel Washington, for example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, I don't feel like he's particularly cruel to the kids. You know what I mean? Like, like Denzel Washington was like really tough on those kids. And in other sports films that we've talked about, like the coaches, the quote unquote inspirational coach is always really hard on the kids. There's one scene in here that we will talk about where he's pretty rough on them, but for the most part, like he actually tries to understand them and he tries to work with them and, and those sorts of things. That's where I say, I feel like he's Jeff, he's just trying to find a good way to relate to these kids and find something that he can, he enjoys himself. It's not, you know, let me, go forth and change all of your lives. Yeah. Oh, one thing I kind of like about the Ke- Kevin Costner in this movie is I kind of sort of feel like it was really ended up looking back at it now. Um, it was a perfect marriage almost between the type of sports movie he likes to make and the type of sports movie that Disney likes to make. Yeah, you're right. And I hadn't thought about that, but you're correct. Cause I mean, like his, he definitely thinks of sports films as, you know, in in the same way that Disney does, right? Like he he just always goes towards the sort of down and out character that's trying to find his way in the world and those sorts of things. So right, and there has to be drama. It looks like it has to not be completely about the sport. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I would say like if you're if you're a Kev- if you're a fan of his sports films, like if you liked. Um, probably Bull Durham's not not close to this. This is much more inspirational than Bull Durham was, but um, I can't remember the name of the film, but For the Love of the Game, I think it was. If you saw that film where he was a pitcher uh, or if you saw some of his other films, uh, you would like this. Because I'm assuming most people listening have... Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Tin Cup's a good one. Um, Yeah, I'm assuming most people listening have actually probably not seen this at this point, uh, but... Hopefully, by the time this actually comes out, uh, more people will have. But I think we'd all say go go check it out, especially like if, like Cheryl and Rachel said, if you can grab a matinee, you can get a good price on it. Um, it's definitely worth worth going to check out in the theaters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have to say, you know, with again, I don't want to. We haven't gotten to the plot yet, but I feel like the movie was okay, not great to me up until a certain point, and then that point happened, and suddenly this is like a magical movie. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, but it it and I it, maybe it was intentional because I like looking at it. It's like kind of sort of the turning point for him in the movie is kind of sort of where I feel it all comes into play. 
Interesting. And, uh, for you, what would be that point? I guess without um, giving away too many spoilers. Everything from where he decides to plan the party forward. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Quinceañera. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it's at that point that you go, oh, this is a different kind of movie, especially the the immediate aftermath of that. Yeah. 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 Well, it's. I love that moment in the movie because it shows just how much his character has grown from when he first moved there. When he's telling his kids in his gym class, oh, Diaz, well, that's a popular name, you know, where you come from. And these kids just kind of staring at him like, well, we're from here. We're from America. Like, I don't know where exactly you think we're coming from or whatever. It's anyways, I I just, I love that moment with him planning the quinceanera. It just shows how much his character has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's mostly also the white, the wife um, as well. She's like, you know, these aren't, you know, these are at that point, she's like, these are our friends. Yep. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's still calling the owner by, you know, his like last name. And he's like, she's, yeah, she's like she's like these are all these are our friends. So and um, I don't think he's doing that. I think he's doing that because he has respect for the man, not out of a lack of respect for him. No, I, but, I, but I think I also think he was doing it because of um, you know he he really just didn't think of them. You know, they hadn't said it in that you know this is where you know he wants to be. You know, he's oh, I being. know. Yeah, I know which scene you're talking about, Cheryl. He doesn't even call him by his last name. He refers to him as, like, the corner store owner. Yeah. Like, that's what sets off Maria Bello, that he won't even call him by name. Right. Yeah, shortly shortly thereafter. You're right. Yeah. And the other, um, the other one, the other, the, the other line that resonates with me as we go into talking about the movie is the one where he's saying most of these kids I have to, you know, harden up. And, you know, and with you guys, it's like he had to soften them because these are, these kids already had a hard life. Right. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, And, and, and a lot of them who, who still live in McFarland still do. So, uh, so I, I think in general, for those people who sometimes when we do the new movies, they like to tune out before uh, before we start going through the plot. I think we're all giving this a, a good good rating, and, and you should you should go check it out. But um, if you if you want to tune out and, and go check it out, and then come back and listen to the rest of the show, now's your time. Okay, we're gonna wait. Oh, you're back. That's great. Yeah. How was the popcorn? <laughs> was it good? Do you have Kit Kat, milk duds, red nuts? Yeah, I don't know. Good question. All right, so uh, like like Todd mentioned earlier, the movie begins in Boise, Idaho, with a little quick scene where uh, Jim White is coaching a football team. Uh, one of the kids gets a little snotty with him, a little uh, upset with him, and White throws a cleat at the kid. Not at the kid, like he throws it at a locker behind him, but the cleat bounces and sort of scrapes the kid's face. Um, and it's not said in the movie, but it's basically implied that he got fired because of this. Um, and he has to go to McFarland because it's the only place that he can get a job. Um, I have to say that is one thing I really like about this movie is that there's a lot of things in here that are that they are actually told as a movie. Like they don't sit there and explain to you or show a scene with the principal of the school in Idaho. They just show a moving. They show the thing happening with the kid, a moving truck, and then they're driving to McFarland. Like you, you get all the information you need to know by context 
Um, and I feel like sometimes in these kinds of movies, they overly explain those things. And I really thought the director did a great job of just saying, no, we're just going to go from here to here to here. You'll pick it up. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some really good visual storytelling going on in here. Yeah, and they do um, similar choices. And the director's uh, Nikki Caro. Uh, and there's similar choices later in the movie. Like, there was a point at which my daughter leans over and says, like, wait, what What just happened? And I wasn't entirely sure either. And then they explained everything. Like, you just picked up on it as the scene went along through dialogue, through visuals, through whatever. Um, it, I think some movies these days get get a little overboard in, you know, trying to explain every single thing and, and document it. The, but I thought they did a great job in this one of – you know, no, this is a movie. This is the, this is, it's, it's sort of the way the movie's supposed to be is this is a camera on these people's lives, right? And in your life, you don't stop to give everybody exposition. Yeah. In fact, the exposition in this is actually, there, there isn't much, really. Because he really um, doesn't need much. No, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's not a, rock, it, it's not a rocket science plot at all. Right. You know, there's not. There's nothing complex. There's no. There's nothing hidden. There's no surprises in terms of actual plot. Yeah. You, you in know. fact, it gets right to the point rather quickly. Like within when they arrive in McFarland, uh, you know, they they go to their house. They have they enter the house. So so it's uh, Kevin Costner's character, Jim White, um, his wife, who's played by Maria Bello, Cheryl White, and then their two daughters, Julie and Jamie. Uh, and they arrive. They get into this small house, which uh, I have I have friends that live in California, and I they pulled up in front of that house. I'm like, oh, I've seen that house before. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it's a very California house. I mean, you know, the tiny, tiny front yard, uh, ni- you know, nice interiors and and all that sort of thing. Uh, but it, it it looked very California with the nice. Uh, I don't know what you'd call that. Is that a teal green wall? <laughs> Something like that. Don't ask me colors. Yeah. And the chicken in the front yard. Yes. The chicken. <laughs> well, and a, not, not, until it's a, not until it's a gift. Right. <laughs> uh, and they go, they go to get something to eat, you know, because they don't have any, obviously they just moved in, they don't have any food, and, and the only place they can find is, of course, a, a restaurant that serves tacos, uh, which is, again, very California. Uh, if you go to small towns, you know, in California, you'll find, uh, all right, what kind of tacos do you want? What kind of meat do you want? And they have no idea, which I found that a little disingenuous. Like, I don't care where you're moving from. You probably have had Mexican food before. Yes. But they might not have known it by yeah. the, by the uh, Spanish names and stuff like that. So Yeah, I guess it's true. Yeah, like, like that's, that's something that I could see someone, like, especially someone from, like, the Midwest or something, not having any idea what that is. Yeah, I guess that's true. My kids, my kids were leaned over during when they said that, and they were like, "Can we go have Mexican food after this? Because that all sounds tasty." <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it did sound really good. I want uh, tacos just thinking about it. Pretty much, yeah. They, uh, yeah, they they eat. They get out of the 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 restaurant, and the restaurant folks are all very nice to them. And this group of uh, Hispanic gentlemen, I guess, is the best way to refer to them, pulls up in these uh, nice classic cars. And, of course, they, being, you know, stereotyping, think that these are, are gangsters and, like, they try to pull out of the the parking lot in a hurry. I mean, it's it's exactly what you were talking about earlier, Rachel, with the, with the, the privilege 
aspect of it. It's like they just immediately assume that these guys are gangsters and like Jim White basically makes a fool of himself in such a hurry. He like runs over a, a I don't know what you call it that little the concrete blocks in the in the parking lot trying to get out of the parking lot to escape these guys. Yeah, and this is I mean this is a really realistic way that a family that, you know, has been very sheltered and not really been a part of this community before where they, they might freak out a little bit about that because the guy, you know, was kind of, I, I think there was a guy kind of doing a little bit of whistling or I, I don't know if he did any cat calling, but he just kind of like whistled at them. Yeah. And he that's took that as, you know, Oh, I got to, yeah. That he's like, Oh no, I got to protect my daughter and all that. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting because like they, they really, portrayed the uncomfortableness of that moment right they didn't shy away from it and, and and i'm sure it was toned down a little bit from what it you might see in real life to your point like they just whistled and things but i i, I thought that was kind of interesting um but they, didn't, they don't really actually lean into it until much later in, in the movie but the next day uh jim white goes to mcfarland and meets the principal he gets introduced to the football coach and it he's going to serve as an assistant on the football team uh, and he meets the player, he meets his, uh, he's also going to be a PE coach and he meets his students. And this is what, uh, what you were talking about earlier, Rachel, where he says, you know, D everybody was named Diaz because there are three brothers named D Diaz, uh, that he, he starts calling the role and he says, you know, what's, that's a popular name around here. And of course they look at him like, are you insane? Because they're in a heavily Hispanic <laughs> area of, of, uh, of California. So yes, there's going to be quite a few of them. Which also they make the crack about um, the, the fact that his name is white and right. you know, are there lots of people named that where you come from? Yes, and White eventually, through the course of the movie, uh, they all start calling him Blanco. <laughs> which cracked me up almost every time they said it. Yes, and is real life. Yes, they did do that. Yep. And so, you know, when, when he finally starts coaching football, that's one of the things that we see. And, you know, well, now we must say that the, the kids, are, or especially his eldest daughter, is not really happy about this whole thing thing um she was not happy about going to mcfarland high school or moving into the house or anything that's happening in this whole bit uh and so he's just trying to figure out a way to make it work but when he starts coaching football one of the kids um i believe it's is it uh johnny samaniego yes yeah yes. Okay. uh is playing linebacker yeah and johnny is what to be charitable probably 135 pounds if that, yeah. Yeah. And so he gets hit by some of these bigger kids in California, which if you don't know anything about high school football, California is a factory of high school football players. Um, <laughs> I mean, like huge kids that go to the big colleges and all this kind of stuff. I, and so poor Johnny is getting just steamrolled in the football game. And it turns out uh, at least Jim White thinks he's probably got a concussion and won't send him back in the game. Uh, and so he – the next day basically gets quote unquote fired off of the football staff uh, because <laughs> unfortunately the principal is like, I can't afford to fire you. I need teachers, but you can't coach football anymore because uh, you were insubordinate. And he realizes of course that the, the football, the head football coach is a jerk too, because he sat there and just 
uh, eats an apple during the entire thing. So yeah. Well, the other guy pretty much calls the the football coach a jerk too. Yeah, he does. So, so I mean, it's it's kind of like you know telling, like like the guy like is just being there. Just I don't know why he was there. Good other, point. Other than the, other than he was a plot device. Pretty much, that's about it. <laughs> to get him off the football team, move him to the track team. <laughs> that's, right. That's about it. Yeah, and and basically what that what that means what that what happens there is, uh, he starts he's trying to figure out what to do because, like I said, he's he's teaching PE and he's teaching I believe is it what, physical science is that right? Yeah, life science. Yeah, life there science, you go. Yep. I don't even know what that is, but he's he's teaching uh, some sort of science. Yeah, it's like seventh grade biology these days is a way to think about it. Gotcha. And so he ends up seeing some of these kids right after school. So especially Thomas Valles, but some of the other kids too, he sees them running through town or running away and he starts following Thomas and, and kind of going straight alongside of him in his truck. And he's realizing that like the guy is running super fast and this is in his regular clothes, bad running, not real good shoes, carrying a backpack, all this stuff, and he's still running about a five-minute mile. If only. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was going to say, Todd, I don't know about you, I was jealous. Yeah, yeah. I'll never be that fast. Yeah, me neither. And so Thomas sort of confronts him, and then the next, you know, says, stop following me, and it's the next day that... He hits up uh, Jim White, hits up Johnny Samaniego, and the as well as the principal, uh, both to say, "Hey, we should do a cross country team because California is having their first state championship, and these kids are really fast. It's something that we think we could we could do." And so he convinces Johnny to get everybody else on the team, and Johnny goes out and convinces the three Diaz brothers, uh, Victor Puentes, and then Thomas Velez gets in a fight, <laughs> and therefore uh, he manages to instead of getting detention, convince the principal to let Thomas join the team yeah. instead. I love that yep. he sees the fight and doesn't break it up, and he goes, oh, Thomas just got himself a spot on the team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he, play, he saw his opening. Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. I think it's... Uh, it, that, that's one thing I like, is that there's some pretty good humor in this. It's not all dead serious. Like, like, like most, you know, of the... Uh, the Disney sports films, but I think this one has some some nice interplay, like you were saying earlier, of these kids between each other and the kids with Kevin Costner, yeah. so that it, they feel like real people, even though like I don't know that there's huge character arcs for everybody or any of those sorts of things, but it really does feel like here's just a snapshot of these people's lives together in this space. Yeah, I mean the two primaries, which are Costner and the guy playing Tommy, have the you know, what you'd call character arcs, but other than that, the others are kind of sort of just part of the part of the story. Right. Which is totally fine, right? Like, normally, we, we've gotten onto, like, characters for being flat, but like you say, they interact so well, like, they act like real kids. They, they tease each other, they, you know, they, they slack off if they can get away with it, you they know, they... Him. They tease him. They do, you know, they're they're insubordinate when they think they can get away with it. You know, it's not like 
these are kids who follow the typical Hollywood script. Yeah. Uh, so he puts together his track team. He puts them out. Uh, they start running through the streets. Um, with, Like I said, it's the Diaz brothers. Um, Danny Diaz is, like we've mentioned, in real life was not uh, overweight in the in the book or the movie, rather, is overweight. Uh, and he's always the last one when they're, when they're running. Um, but Kevin Costner has them running through town, and everyone thinks he's crazy, which, judging by them running the first time, he sort of is. <laughs> he's running with them which he realizes very quickly was a huge mistake this is a bad idea yes yep. yeah <laughs> yeah that, also that, that, the i can't remember the kid's name the victor right Vic, victor like victor disappears Puentes, in yeah. the middle of the run <laughs> yeah he just runs off like because he, he also got on the team because he got in trouble and in yeah they start running and he's uh Jim White's Kevin Costner's character stops at the corner store and tells them to go to the bridge and back. And as soon as they're out of sight, like Victor just runs off. <laughs> and doesn't come back. No, he does not. No, not even close. Yeah. Uh, and so he manages to get the kids to uh, their first meet. Uh, he takes them to this, uh, I guess it's what the Palo Alto Invitational. I don't remember whether what yes. the races were, but. Yeah, yeah, I think this was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's it's there's four teams. Uh, to make a long story short, they come in last. Um, although they they compete fairly well, um, you know, at least Thomas does, who's who's their star runner, right? He's their best runner. Um, but what happens is there's a big hill, a big incline, and so when they hit the incline, they can't you know power through it to get up the hill, and so that's when they lose steam and they lose. Um, and this is, of course, is his big moment. He's like, oh, what am I doing? I don't know. And, but he does tell the kids, he's like, look, this is on me. I didn't train you to run uphill, yep. uh, but we'll work on that. Which I yeah. thought was kind of good. Like, it's not like a, a thing, like, like we were saying earlier, in other sports movies, that scene would have been the coach yelling at them going like, you think a hill is going to stop you or da, 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 da. He just goes, no, this is on me. We'll fix this. Well, it's also because if you pay attention, like going into this first race, he really didn't do any prep work himself. And it wasn't until after they lost it and he assumed the loss as well is then he starts to like watch all these running videos. And he starts reading up on it. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course, there's also the uphill running with the uh, the almonds. Right. (laughs) Yeah, he he puts the he he takes them out to um, this big field area. So they don't have hills in McFarland, according to him. Uh, but he takes them out to the, the the like I said, this is the one scene where it's uh, you know you feel like he's he's kind of hard on them. Um, but he takes them out to this field where there's these hills that are basically stacks of almond husks, and he makes them run up and down the hills over and over and over again. Um, and most of the kids actually don't complain about it, which is surprising to me. Yeah. Well, actually, none of them really complain about it at all. Because what Tommy gets upset about is, is just, you know, it's other, the other stuff that's going on in his life kind of right. is clashing with this other thing. Right. I mean, like, what he's upset about, and, and we see some of this in the movie, is, like, his father is all, – all these kids, and we should say this, are, are sons of uh, 
people who go out and pick in the, in the fields pick fruit. Like when they drive into town, it says McFarland, the fruit bowl of the USA, because they pick all the different fruits, almonds, not a fruit, obviously, but, uh, you know, strawberries, cabbage, any kind of agriculture. These guys are out in the fields picking and their fathers, and especially Tommy's, you know, he's not a foreman. So he has to just go wherever the work is. So sometimes his father will drift out of town and come back and he's upset about that. He's upset about the fact that, you know, these kids don't have the advantages that some other kids do and all those sorts of things he sort of rages against. But the interesting thing is when, as he does that, he keeps running. Yes. The running is an important, important theme for him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it feels like, uh, and we get to this later on, it, it definitely feels like it's it, it's the thing that, that he has that only he has, that he doesn't have to share with a family, that he doesn't have to share with a town, et cetera. You know what I mean? Like, it's a thing that's important to these kids because it's their accomplishment, not just something that they're expected to do. Because, like, we get the background, like, you see the Diaz brothers, you know, their mother wakes them up at 4.30 in the morning, they go out. They pick until it's time to go to school. They get dropped off at school. Then their mom picks them up from school, and they go out and pick again. And and that's the thing that really comes up in the movie and that we saw in the trailer, uh, the moment where Kevin Costner has to go to their house because their father forbids them from joining the team because he says – and Jim White in the interviews I read said this actually happened. This is like a direct <laughs> quote. Yeah. Um, that Mr. Diaz said to him, like, every hour that my kids train with you is an hour they don't work with me, and that's food off my table. Yeah. Also, I read that that wasn't – it became a thing where he would regularly have to ask and have the conversation with the father. It wasn't just the one time. I mean, it did happen, but each year that they would have to go through the, you know, coaching them again and on to when the Diaz's sister and their other brothers in later years were on his team – he would have to go through the, that with the father every year. Yeah. yeah. And this this scene is so much a typical sports movie trope. You know, the, the coach has to go to the kid's house and convince the parents that they they actually know what's best for the kid and that they know that it's better for the kid to stay on the team. But he never and actually this, says, says that. That's Yeah, well, that's the thing. It. is that's, that's the thing I love about this is that in McFarland, he absolutely does not do that. Um, he has a moment where he, it looks like he's about to say something to the father, and then he just stops himself and says, "Please tell your father that it was an honor to be in his home," mm. and <laughs> and uh, and and doesn't do, yeah, which is also a great joke that he the father speaks English just <laughs> fine, right, <laughs> and doesn't need any translation. Mm. Well, um, to, to be fair, the father never spoke English the entire time until that point. But he never asked either. He was sitting yeah. at the table, and everybody else was honestly rude in speaking Spanish the whole time he was sitting at that table, other than the kid who was in his class and on yeah. the team. And eating his eight enchiladas. Oh, eight oh enchiladas. I dream. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the scene that made me want to go home and make enchiladas. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm getting hungry now just talking about the movie. Uh, fantastic. It's no wonder these kids had to in- take up running because all the all that food looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, that that's the the part where um, you know the the next part of the day, and we we've skipped over uh, an important moment between him and Thomas that I'll go back to. But while we're talking about the Diaz brothers, um, he you know uh, he goes out uh, into the fields. Jim White does and actually helps them pick. 
And it's not, it never, what I like is like, it's never him going like, I'm going to do this and then you're going to come practice with me or, you know, I'm trying to understand what you kids are going through. He just literally just shows up and, uh, you know, he's in the back of the truck and he just does the work. Like, it's not, it's not him explaining things. It's not, you know, this is like you were saying, Rachel, typically in these kinds of movies, it would be like, okay, I'm going to understand your world and you're going to understand mine. And I know what's best for your kids and that sort of thing. It's, that's not this at all. Like he just goes and he helps. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a lot of big realization moments. Like when he finds out that they don't get paid by the hour, they get paid by the field. Right. Yeah. And and this sort of thing, it didn't, wasn't something he did a lot in real life, but it was something that he did occasionally to help out. He's because we, we kind of touched this earlier is in real life, instead of going to work in the field, like he suggests with them, he actually adjusts the practices or splits the practices between team members to make up for the fact that they can't all be there at the same time necessarily. Right. Yep. Yeah. Like he says, he would have a four o'clock practice and then like a six or seven o'clock practice, you know, one for the kids who could come after school and one for the kids who had to go work first. Yes. Um, but yeah, he, he does, he works all day with them in the field and then he, uh, basically goes home and passes out. And then the best is that he wakes up the next morning and there's, uh, the Diaz brothers, mom, uh, making tamales for a fundraiser, uh, for, to buy the kids new uniforms because she's <laughs> very embarrassed by the, the stuff that he's, he's purchased for them, uh, which he bought out of his own pocket, which again, that he, he does say sometimes that he, they did do that. He and his wife would buy stuff out of their pockets, but for the most part, you know, it was either the school or they would do fundraisers or things like that. Yep. And it's tamales and a cart wash. And in real life, she actually uh, did a very, like, almost countywide tamale sale to get the kids to go to Asia in real life at one point. Yeah, I read about that. She made, like, 200 tamales. Yeah. I think what we're learning is that there's good food in this movie. Uh, It really (laughs) is. It does look delicious. Um, like even even when they're having lunch at the while well, working, they get tacos. I'm like, man. Yes, they do. They do. Uh, I want to go back to something we talked about with Thomas. Um, we we skipped over a scene that uh, is a pretty powerful emotional scene in the film. Uh, that uh, Thomas, there's a moment where where Coach White is driving. Uh, he, you know, he missed his daughter's. Uh, birthday party his daughter they had a special birthday dinner they made that his wife made uh and they he was supposed to get the cake uh, but because of the whole thing with uh the practices and the almond husks and the hills he misses that and so he goes home and his daughter's upset with him and you know very very mad at him and and she slams the door goes to her room uh so he goes back out just to sort of drive around and clear his head and he comes across an overpass where thomas is sitting um, with his feet dangling over the overpass, like literally if he tipped forward just a bit, he's going to fall uh, onto the freeway. And so the coach gets out of his car and starts talking to him and gets the whole story about his father who, like we said, the Diaz brother's father is a foreman. He runs the field. Um, and Thomas's brother, Thomas's father is not. Like So he just he'll go to Phoenix. He'll go to other places in the southwest to pick and be gone for you know days at a time or months at a time um, just to try to help you know, make ends meet the family and he doesn't approve of Thomas running or any of those sorts of things. Uh, and so it's coach. His daughter was pregnant when he came back. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that part. Um, Now this, this apparently also did happen in real life, just not quite like this. Right. 
Yeah, because Thomas was not sitting about to commit suicide like he is in this scene. He was he was just kind of hanging out on the bridge upset, and then White showed up. So with all the, the sort of pieces coming together, right, Thomas is, being, Thomas is now in, and then the Diaz brothers are now in. Uh, that's when, like Todd said earlier, they, you know, he starts studying, he starts watching film, uh, Coach White does, uh, and starts you know, preparing the kids, running them around. And this is when he finally fishes out his Barbie bike from the, from the garage and starts riding a bike with them as they start training instead of uh, trying to run and keep up with them, which I say smart move, Mr. White. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, there's actually that scene at the very end where you can actually see that he really did do that, and it really was kind of sort of a girl's bike, although it looked like it was repainted. Yeah, it definitely looks like it was repainted, for sure. Yeah, and so as the kids get more accustomed to running and everything, uh, they start looking at what they can do. So the rules of cross-country get explained very simply in here, which is like basically the lowest score wins. The top four uh, runners, where they place, they add that up, and, and that's how they, they figure out what the tally is. And so as Coach White starts looking at things, um, he, there's a moment where he says, like, hey, if we – you know, looking at the times of these other kids – um, that we've been racing against and some of these kids that were, we could go up against in some of these qualifying meets, like you guys could make the state championship. And sure enough, they go to uh, another race and they manage to win, uh, win, get fourth place, which is what you'd have to do out of much more than four teams this time. Uh, and they do manage to qualify for the state championship. Uh, and on the way back from that meet, um, Coach takes them into uh, takes them into a state park and shows them the the ocean for the first time. So these kids had never seen the ocean, which I thought was a kind of cool little moment. Yeah, it's yeah. very nice. sweet. Yeah, yeah. And so then then comes the moment that I think we talked about earlier, where I think to this point, like it's a fairly I, I wouldn't call it by the numbers, but it's a fairly straightforward sports movie. That that a fair assessment? Yeah. Coach White goes into the corner store and he's talking to the owner about the fact that his daughter of his daughter and uh, that she's fifteen. And the guy asks him, you know, well, when was her quinceanera or when is it? Oh no, it's actually the mother, the D- Mrs. Diaz, who asks that, and then he goes to the store to ask the guy for help. Oh, you're right. You're right. I apologize. Yep. Yes. You're correct. Yeah, uh, which actually leads to my favorite moment in the whole movie. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah, so it's him and Thomas. So we should we should note that like there's a romance between Thomas Velez and uh, Julie White, uh, the coach's daughter. It's not like played up in, in a big way. It's just sort of subtle. Like they they steal glances at each other. They hold hands here or there. There's no big dramatic you know moment between the two of them, but there is a romance there. Uh, and it's Thomas is sitting in the backyard. Coach White sitting in the backyard, and is it Sam, the the corner store owner, I believe? Yeah, I think that Sam is the right name. Yeah, they're sitting at a, a sort of a, a round, like like I guess picnic table, uh, and he and Coach White starts asking Sam, like, okay, so what do we do to get ready for this quinceanera? Because he sends the girls off to the beauty salon to to get their hair done. Oh, and um, we should meet the, the way she meets the beauty salon owner is her car had broken down one day. Yes. Yep. Yeah, the uh, Coach White's wife. And the lady's like, just come on in. Yeah, 
just come on in. I'll get my boyfriend over. He'll take a look at your car. I'll do your nails, you know. Yeah. And she does. To her credit, she does. And, and so, yeah, it's uh, Coach Coach White, Thomas, and Sam sitting in the backyard. Uh, and he says, all right, Sam, what do we got to do to get ready? And he says, Blanco, what you got to understand is we are just the Indians. Here come the Chiefs. Yep. <laughs> Which is my, my, my favorite movement in the whole movie because, of course, as Susie says that, in come all the women in the community carrying things and telling them to move the table and get out of the way. And they set up the entire backyard for this quinceanera, which I thought was – it was just an amazing scene um, because, like you said earlier, Rachel, it's him like – accepting the culture it's like a 180 from where they were at the beginning of the movie where he's peeling out of that parking lot instead he's embracing this culture and you know if you guys don't know what a quinceanera is it's basically like a coming out party for a young girl in in the hispanic community um i've actually been to a couple of them they're amazing events if you ever you know are invited to one uh, but they do one for julie um he gives her a dress and a tiara to wear and they just have this he gives a very touching speech a about a very bell dress, may I add. Yeah. yeah. Let let's talk about Synergy for a moment here. That was a very <laughs> she looked a lot like Belle. <laughs> True. True. Although she did have that, that strange teal color looking thing. Yeah, there were two colors in the dress. But I agree it did have that the right frilliness for Belle's dress. I understand what Charles is saying. Yep. Yeah, no. and the neckline and everything, yeah. It's oh, very yeah. similar. Very much so. Uh, and so the the end of the party is is where things you know, like we first have this touching speech by Jim White about how everybody has accepted them and this is their fam you know these guys have become their family and uh, the community and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then and then he has such a dad line because he says, "And now you have to dance with me, whether you like it or not." <laughs> yeah, you can't say no. <laughs> And then the end of the party, the idea is that they will take Julie and parade her around town because she's the, you know, she's the celebrity for the evening. So these guys, the guys, uh, we, and we hadn't mentioned this, that the boyfriend that uh, that we talked about that was fixing the cars earlier was one of the guys that they thought were gangsters earlier. And they also participated in the tamale sale to help, you know, they, they're not gangsters. They just have nice cars and they enjoy them. And, they're a lowrider club, basically. Yeah, yep. that's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and I, I love his point about his why they why they chose the cars over crime. <laughs> he goes because if we did the crime with these cars, they'd be able to point us out right away. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Yep, and the uh, the girlfriend's portrait on the front of his car is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. also that his wife goes, "I wish you'd take that kind of attention with me." <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, the idea is this lowrider club, like like Cheryl says, is going to take them, uh, take Julie on this uh, trip around the town. And so they do that. And when they get to the corner store, there is a uh, an incident where an actual somebody who is, uh, you know, sort of a gangster pulls up in front of everyone. Uh, and then you, we we don't see what happens. It just cuts back to the house where Coach White gets a phone call. And he goes down to the corner store where uh, Julie has been hurt, um, not seriously. Like, she's just got some scrapes and cuts and that sort of thing. And, and apparently there was a fight, right? And um, we find out later, we don't find out at the time, but we find out later uh, that the, the track team actually jumped in front of her to defend her. 
Um, but he doesn't know that at the time. He yells at everyone, gets angry, says, you know, that you guys said that you had her, that everything was under control, that it wasn't going to be a problem. And if uh, I yell again, we mean talk loudly. He never actually yells. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> that's I, I do want to say one thing. Kudos to them for choosing to depict the violence off screen. Yes. Yes. Right? Because it was a very it was really a good way to handle the situation. Yeah, and it's way more scary and tense to just see this mysterious car pulling up and like the the bit of dialogue about, you know, why won't these guys just leave you alone? And then just cutting to the phone call. Because at yes. that point anything could have happened. Oh, I thought I thought she could have been dead. Yeah. I mean my heart was in my throat. No, no two ways about it. Like I thought, this is this is a dark turn for this movie. I mean, the fact that she wasn't doesn't really alleviate that because, as a parent, that's the phone call you'd never want to get. Right, that your child has been hurt. Come quickly. Yeah. You, you yeah. never want that phone call. You also know never learn who actually was the one who called them. But I presume it was Sammy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Oh, actually, it couldn't have been Sammy, because Sammy was at the house. So I have no idea. Hmm. Well, there was an ambulance there, so maybe someone just knew to to call them. That may be true. Yeah. It's a pretty small community. Everyone seems to kind of know each other. And we do have to keep in mind that it's the 80s, so there aren't cell phones. Yes. (laughs) True. Very true. And so this sparks a, a sort of a fight between uh, Jim and his wife, right? Because he comes home that night and he's uh, he's upset because at the meet that they went at, the state qualifying meet, um, the Palo Alto coach had said to him, like, hey, you know, Palo Alto's looking for another coach. We've got our eye on you. And, you know, Jim hadn't really done anything with it. But because of this, you know, he's sort of torn because he's saying, like, look what happened just down the street. And that's the moment that, that you guys had talked about where – he doesn't even mention Sam, the corner store owner, by name. Um, and his wife gets on to him and says, these are our friends. This is the folks that are have taken care of us, who have welcomed us, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but the ne- that doesn't stop him from the next day going to Palo Alto and talking to them and getting a, a take on possibly getting a job there. Yeah. Yeah, they they flat out offer him like a full a full job, um, like he would be the like heading up a new program. Um, it's basically everything he says that they've ever wanted, right? That they've talked about. Yeah, he he does, and uh, with that background, like the kid uh, Thomas especially knows where he went, um, and has that background as they go to the state championship. Yeah, because Julie tells them. Right? Yeah. And what I thought would be was interesting is in a typical sports movie, he would have given this inspirational speech before the kids ran and told them that, you know, no, I'm staying. And that would have been like the fuel for them to to go out and win. Yeah. But in this case, he doesn't do that. He's like, look, these you're tougher than these other kids. Like these other kids don't get up at four in the morning and go pick in the fields and then go to practice and school and all those things. Those other kids haven't trained the way you guys are trained. Those other kids don't, you know, they take all this stuff for granted. It's again, going back to that privilege thing that you were talking about earlier, Rachel, like 
it, yeah. it, it very much he he leans into that and says, you know, no, these kids they have nothing on you, and that's yeah. what powers and, them. Yeah, and also as far as the conversation that Thomas has with him, even before they go to the meet on the on the day that he goes for the interview, um, Thomas's reaction to it in most sports movies, his character would be angry and would probably have a very angry outburst with him. But his reaction isn't really angry. It's just kind of like not even and not even surprised. He's like, this is what always happens. Whenever yeah. we get something good here in our community, it goes away. Like, like someone else, like they move on to bigger things. This like our town is just not good enough. It's not ever good enough for anyone. Um, yeah, and, and also, so, also yeah. the, he that character in that other in other movies would have told all the other kids. Yes, yeah, and that, that doesn't too. happen either. So, mm-hmm. and that there would have been the typical, you know, the coach has to win them all back with the big speech, but he's really the only one that knows about this. Right. But yeah, it's it's. I, I love that choice, though. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's just, it's not about, it's not about him. And so we get the, the state championship meet. And so based on everything that, that the coach had been looking at before, like they had a chance to win this, this state championship meet. And so what happens is, of course, Thomas goes out, but then Jose Cardenas, who really we don't see a ton of in the movie, but he's like their second best runner. He goes out like way too fast. So if, any, if you know anything about running, like it, it, especially cross country, it's a little bit about endurance. Like you can't, you can't just sprint out there. You're, you won't hold up. So he went way too fast. Uh, and he's, you know, coach is sure that he's going to give out and, and sure enough he does. And so Thomas finishes where he's supposed to finish. And then um, the Diaz is finished where they're supposed to finish. But Jose, um, you know, just falls back and it's Danny Diaz who's ever, who's been their yes. last runner. <laughs> uh, who actually catches up with everybody and finishes way ahead of where he's supposed to. Uh, and he's the one that puts them over the top to win the state championship. Right. And it's important to note that this is something about the scoring with cross country running that we were saying earlier is while they count only the top four runners is by Danny going ahead of all those other guys, he puts them over the top because then they all get higher scores. Anyone he passes at that point. That's how that's that's the big deal right there. Yeah. Absolutely. And and then of course after that he goes and uh Coach White does goes over to Palo Alto and tells them that he's staying at McFarland and uh tells the kids and much joy and celebration takes place. especially from the people from McFarland who all came to watch the cross country championship and they yell and scream at the other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they hoot and holler. They do. Uh, and then we get an epilogue that shows the actual people, not the actors, which I thought was really, really nice. Like typically they show the actors and then they stop and pause and show, you know, like, Oh, so-and-so ended up in, uh, you know, becoming a track coach himself or things like that. Um, In this case, they are showing a scene of Coach White, the real Coach White, on his bike running with the kid, with the actual kids from the 87 team and showing what happened to them. And what I thought was really great was, like, they didn't have to do that because some of those kids, a lot of them turned out great. 
some of them didn't. Some of them are still. Uh, some of them went to jail. Some of them are yes, still so in jail. Have, well, yeah. Vic, Vic, Victor yeah. went to prison, but he. Uh, but it says he came out reformed, and he's they're uh, they're all working in the community except for I think Jose. Right, he was the writer. Yes. Right. Right. He went. Yeah, he's the writer who's currently overseas. Um, yeah. I believe he's in the military. Was what but, they said. But the Diazes all work at the school to this day. You know, and yep. uh, and that mm-hmm. kind of, and one and Johnny is actually the coach now. I think right of the team, if I remember reading that correctly. Or he's coaching. I, I think he's coaching the middle team. Middle is that what it, what it is? Yeah, it, middle school it, team. But I, I guess they all regularly go out, and the, all those original yes. guys go out and run yes. with the rest of the the yes. current teams yes. and stuff like that all the time, right? Kind of as, as an old man yep. myself mm-hmm. who runs, who's like pretty much the exact same age of these kids, I feel I feel good about it. So, yeah, I agree. And that's uh, yeah, that's the movie. That's the whole thing. I mean, it's like we said at the very beginning. It is not a huge surprise, right? What happens in the movie? It's fairly predictable. Uh, this is a movie that's way more about the journey and the characters and sort of the issues that they're facing with, you know, the uh, trying to fit in this Hispanic community and what these kids have to go through. Um, and that was the conversations that were that you know my kids and I were having is they're like, you know, oh well. Do those kids still have to go and 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 do that stuff? And I'm like, yeah, they, you know, this is. <laughs> there are kids in 2015 who are still doing the same things those kids did. Um, so I think it's great for for shining a light on that. Yeah, that that's something yeah. that um that really isn't portrayed these days is how much our you know because I, I I know because we live in Florida so. We're also one of those states where where agriculturally, you know, people you know work crazy, you know, work crazy shifts to right. all this stuff. But um, and there's a lot of one of the one of the groups I belong to is very activist on that. But um, but it's, I I was also wasn't aware that it was like by the farm by the bushel as well. So it was a very you know overall interesting to learn. Right. Yeah, no, I think I think it's great. Yeah, something I wanted to mention real quick about the title and the fact that the title of the movie is technically McFarland USA. Like I think we've just been referring to it as McFarland, but I think that that's a very intentional choice um, on their part. I especially um, I don't think that this was mentioned, but right before the uh, the state track meet, um, there's a sequence with the uh, the national anthem where they're cutting back and kind of showing them training and doing a little bit of a remember where we've come from, that sort of visually showing the char- the uh, team and the- them training and everything. And I thought that was a really lovely moment because it's reminding us that McFarland is a part of the, the this, this town and this culture is part of the United States. It's the way that, like, that uh, White and his family treat this town, when they first come to it, they treat it as something very foreign and something that's, you know, other. But I think that that moment, like, completely embraces the fact that this is a side of America that doesn't get shown on film very much. And that really made me very happy. 
yeah. That that I I think that they really push that with that montage and also with the title itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that's one of the great things about this, like you said, that that it gets it shines a light on things that are uh, that are not normally seen on film. I think that's great. All right. Uh, so, anything else you guys want to add before we rate this? No. Oh, actually, one thing. I just wanted to say one of the cool things about this as a running movie, having seen a few other running movies, is there's no slowing down or speeding up of the running. It's just the running at the pace that the running was done in yeah. the movie. And I, I kind of think that's a really nice approach. Yeah, I agree. It, you and I are by no means professional runners, but like we, we do run quite a bit. Uh, and I know I, you could tell like these these guys were actually running. It wasn't you know, uh, it wasn't faked. There was no computer imagery or anything used. Like it was just running, um, and I liked that quite a bit. I agree. All right, uh, so let's let's go ahead and rate this. Uh, Rachel, do you want to take the first stab here? As far as my rating for this movie, I really like it, um, but I don't think I'm. My rating is going to fall three and one quarter. Um, I'm really happy that I saw it. I definitely think that people should see it, and I think it's a great launching off point for a lot of other movies. Um, We talked a lot about the um, good visual storytelling that was going on with it, a lot of, you know, show, don't tell. Um, But I do think that there were a few scenes where, unfortunately, it did fall into that. We didn't really mention this, but there's another teacher at the school who occasionally drops in to give sort of these very exposition, like kind of unnecessary exposition talking about the town and its hardships and then kind of sharing the changes that the boys are going through in her class, um, which I think those scenes were unnecessary and kind of bring down my score a bit. Um, And I think if they could have trimmed some of the stuff like that, I think it could have been a bit of a tighter movie. Um, but again, I'm very happy about the fact that it shows a different side of America. You know, it has very different, uh, protagonists, uh, than, you, you know, you see in your typical sports movie or in your typical Disney movie. Um, so I definitely want to encourage Disney to continue in this direction that they have with this and million dollar arm and keep making little movies like this. So three and one quarter. There you go. Uh, I am going to go just a hair higher than you, three and a half. I agree. I think it's uh, everything you said is is spot on. I, I really enjoy it. I think the movie was uh, was really really good. Uh, it it is you know sort of by the numbers, but it's elevated a bit because of the things that we talked about. And I think it ends up being um, quite fun and enjoyable. And like I said, I took my kids and we were able to talk about it, and it sparked things in them afterwards. And that's like so rare in a movie, except when you're, you know, like we talk about which Avenger is going to be which Avenger. But to talk about like real world issues in a way that's constructive and positive after a movie, I think was uh, was really fun and it was really exciting. So uh, I, I, I took that away from it. All right. Uh, Cheryl, what about you? I'm going to be writing that um, 3.25, I think. I think the um, I, I although I disagree with Rachel and the teacher, I kind of like the aspect of 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 giving us the area. Um, but I do, I do think that like some of the writing, like some of the writing scenes were a little bit too long and they could have shortened things a little bit, but, um, but I, I did like, I did like the movie. 
All right. And Todd, you'll get the uh, the last say here. All right. Well, I'm going to say this. So I said earlier on that there was this moment where I kind of the, felt the movie really shifted it up a notch for me. And But going into that moment, I, had I seen only that movie up until that point, and that was the whole movie, I probably would have rated it a three, like where you down where you guys are. Mm-hmm. But I felt that the upturn was really enough for me personally to make it a four. So that's what I'm going with is a, is a four. I just right. I enjoyed it that much. So. No, yeah, I, I can't blame you for that at all. I mean, I, I, I really, uh, I really had a great time watching it too. So, I think it's just so we're all we're all sort of in that same you know that same mindset of, uh, you know, we're the three to four range. I think uh, we all really enjoyed it. So. Uh, to anyone who's listened this far and you know you like what you heard or if you've you enjoyed it, uh, I, I'm definitely going to watch it again at some point in the future. So uh, quite enjoyable. All right. That was our review of McFarland USA. For you guys who are out there who have or haven't seen it, go check it out and let us know what you guys think. You can email us, disfilmproject at gmail.com. Tweet us at disfilmproject. Um, you can always, of course, find us on Facebook at Disney Film Project, and then, of course, leave a note in the show notes at DisneyFilmProject.com. If you're listening to the show, uh, you can do that on iTunes, on Diz Dad's Radio, and, of course, on Stitcher. Uh, but if you could, go leave a rating or a review for the show on iTunes. That actually helps people find the show. Um, so when people are searching and they look for Disney Film Project, the more reviews you have or movies or things like that, uh, the more people can find the show. So that's, uh, that's great if you guys could go and do that for us. Uh, and that's going to do it for this week's show. So for Todd and Cheryl and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we'll see you again soon. Is this Mexico? Blanco, you have to understand. We are the Indians, not the Chiefs. There's nothing you can't do with that kind of strength, with that kind of heart. Quit staring at the mountain. It's not going anywhere.